Hey everybody and welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. My name is Ben Patterson, I'm joined by Paul Hubert. Yeah, it's good to be here on for what is a, a Monday morning after you know, a fairly, fairly busy weekend. I'm also yes, grateful sir. to say that, you know, although it seems like everybody else around us is dropping like flies, we already dropped like flies. And so here we are healthy, um, you know, now, you know, so there is some, some benefit to, to, to going first, I guess, in that regard. So there you go. Um, hope, uh, hope the Lord allows us to keep our health for, for some time coming this winter. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. But, uh, but definitely prayers and thoughts, uh, you know, for those who are uh, struggling and suffering right now with uh, whatever sickness they've got going around. Uh, yeah, so, for sure, for sure. But we're glad to get to be here. Yes, we are. And today we are in Season 2, Episode 15 of the podcast. Uh, this month we're doing a series of special episodes, special independent episodes. Yeah. We're not connecting with our Sunday morning series in the way we typically do because that Sunday morning series right now, we're in this series called The Simple Message of First John where we're going through and we are practicing the Discovery Bible Study. Mm -hmm. um, up on stage, we've got a panel of guys up there and we're going through discussing First John been really meaningful series, really yeah. meaningful content. We invite you to go back, listen to those sermons on our sermon podcast audio. But um, as for the podcast, that was, we don't have a sermon, so there's nothing there. It's not uh, discussable quite in the right, same way. Right, right, right. Um, Although definitely what we're doing on Sunday mornings right now, the article that we're about, about to discuss, it is uh, a there'll be a lot for of for sure. tie-in. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Definitely, because the central thrust of that series is centering around um, this disciple-making uh, technique, method, yeah, method of yeah. the discovery Bible study. That is this simple, repeatable method. And yep. today, we're going to be discussing another article that Paul wrote um, that is all about disciple-making, that is about reasons to begin a disciple-making movement in our American attractional church. So um, without further ado, we'll dive into that. Yeah, this article great. is uh, was written for discipleship.org. Yeah. Um, Paul, when did, when did you write this? Was this recent? Uh, so this published, so I, I actually wrote this first and it published in, a, in another smaller publication and then uh, discipleship.org asked if they could pick it up. And so that was last, the end of last February. So okay, cool. um, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about the article, but one of the neat things about this is, you know, disciple, discipleship.org has their most popular articles that are trending now you know i don't say this to say oh i wrote an article that's most popular and been trending since last march um what i what i'm saying is that the ideas discussed in this article because frankly i think yeah. most people still have no idea who i am and that's just fine um, <laughs> but the ideas we discuss in this article so many people have found them compelling that this article has been shared and shared and shared to awesome. where it's awesome you know it's it's become a, a near viral article that i'll yeah. i'll get calls here at the church about from time to time, you know, I yeah. had a guy in Michigan call a while back and say, hey, I'd like to talk to you about this article. And so, Very cool. um, so I'm excited about the subject matter. Yeah. I think it's compelling to people. People believe and feel as though there's something here that, that we need to talk about more. And so I'm, awesome. I'm excited to do it on the podcast today. And that article on discipleship.org, we recommend you go check it out, read it for yourself. It's called Five Reasons to Begin a Discipleship-Making Movement in the Attractional Church. That's right. And yeah. today we'll format our podcast similar to last week. We're going to go through, I'm going to talk about these five reasons that you've given in this article, and then yeah. uh, I'll read the reason, and then we can go through and kind of have a little bit of discussion about those. But before we do that, Paul, why did you write this? Um, maybe even it could be helpful to give some uh, definitions here. Yeah, we'll a disciple-making yeah. movement, what is that? Yes. And then what is the attractional church? Right. Um, yeah. So, Yeah, and that's uh, especially here. that last one. Um, you know, if there's ever any pushback to this article, it is that phrase, attractional church. And so we'll talk about that for sure. Um, so uh, if I could answer the question first, why, why did I write this article? It's, um, yes. you know, as, as someone who... Um, who cares an awful lot about the North American church. Mm -hmm. um, you know, looking around, I mean, it, it's been for the last decade or more um, that people have been predicting the decline of the attractional church. And real quickly, I'll give you just a very easy definition of attractional church. You know, attractional is really about uh, come and see, where, you know, the, the missional or the disciple-making church has been more about go and be. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you've got those two things that sometimes exist in, in almost like juxtaposition and tension to each other, 
where I believe those ought to exist in harmony with each other. Mm-hmm. There, could, there can be a go and be, uh, or there can be a come and see, while there is definitely a go and be. In fact, mm-hmm. the come and see can, can, can uh, propel people into uh, the go and be lifestyle if we're doing the Sunday morning gathering well, and yep. it ought to. Um, or any of our gatherings, you know, so people sometimes talk about that, you know, the, the idea that we gather to scatter, mm-hmm. you know, that that is the call of the church. Mm-hmm. Let's gather, let's come together, but then let's also go scatter. Gather to scatter. And we're okay. the gathered church and we're the scattered church. Yeah. And either way, we're the church, um, you know, so wherever we go. So, um, so a number of folks probably um, roughly a probably about a dozen years ago was the first time I read an article and in fact was able to go and search for this and was able to find this article still that's one of the neat things about uh, about the internet it's also one of the terrible things about the internet that anything you write <laughs> even if you're way off is, uh, is yeah. going to be out there for years to come and so as a as a, as one who writes articles that sometimes uh, something I probably ought to spend more time thinking about because um, <laughs> the reality is what you write is going to be out there for a long time yeah um, what you post on social media is going to be out there for a long time, too. And so we, we all ought to consider that. But a uh, good article written, uh, like I said, roughly a dozen years ago that predicted for a number of different reasons the decline of the purely attractional church. <laughs> and certainly, um, if we look at, at, at numbers, if we look statistically, uh, that's, that's been very true over the last yeah. decade is we've seen churches that lean into, even the churches that do the attractional very well, meaning um, there are a lot of exciting reasons that compel people to come join a Sunday morning experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so maybe you have an awesome worship team, um, you have a phenomenal communicator, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you have compelling topics, you have you know, all these things that could make something attractional. Mm-hmm. Um, even those churches in the last decade began to really plateau and many of them actually start to experience some amount Mm -hmm. of decline. Now, those were even the churches that did it very well. And so when we think about attractional, we often automatically in our mind go to those churches that do the the be attractive thing. They do that really Mm -hmm. well. Again, very compelling maybe worship team, very compelling speaker, compelling topics great advertising and marketing, all that. We think of those churches as the attractional church. But the reality is for any of us that lean into the come and see as our primary on-ramp for how people come to know Jesus, the truth of it is we're all embracing the attractional method. (laughs) So if come and see is your primary on-ramp for how people come to know Jesus for the first time, uh, in other words, if your strategy is to just make, you know, make some relationships with people, then invite them to church and hope that by being at church, the rest of what you, know, you hope will happen for them in their spiritual walk all of a sudden happens because they came to church. That's leaning into the attractional method. <laughs> um, and, and that's most of us here in the United States. So, yep. you know, so we're, we're talking about um, the beginning signs of decline in the churches that do the attractional thing very well, the reality is the signs of decline uh, for the churches that lean into the attractional method but don't do it well have been visible for m- multiple decades already. You know, you think about uh, Tom Rayner's little book called Autopsy of a Deceased Church. Now, I mean, it's a pretty rough title, um, but, but he looks at a number of churches that were operating primarily on the attractional method were not necessarily doing it very well. There could be a lot of conflict in those churches sometimes. Sometimes uh, they valued tradition over people, you know, and so there were a whole lot of reasons why those churches were now, in his you know, terminology, deceased, but they leaned into the attractional method and didn't do it well. So the truth of the matter is, um, even though in 2010 or before people were saying, Um, we're making predictions about the decline of the attractional church, the ones that lean into solely come and see as their primary on-ramp for people to come to know Jesus. Um, And they were looking at churches that did attractional well and saying, look out, here it comes. We could look back and say for several decades, we've already seen a decline in the attractional, in in, in churches that value the attractional method as their primary way of people coming to know and engage with Jesus. And so that piece 
<clears throat> was something I've been paying attention to for a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, partially because you know I have felt for quite some time. In fact, I, I, I'm, I wish I could think back to the first time I used the language "come and be" or "come and see" to um, to describe the way we do church in pointing out that the go and be is really missing. You know, and I think that's been yeah. something I've been aware of. You know, I've been working in ministry now since uh, 2021. Oh, no, sorry, 2001. So in 2021 was 20 years for me. So, um, you know, I'm coming up on 22 years of working in ministry. And, and before that, worked uh, with, a, with a church as, a, uh, as an intern for a little bit as well. And so, you know, I, I have been thinking about the church landscape for quite some time. And so... I would say within five years of ministry, I bet that terminology was something that was already um, coming to me, and, but it was because of looking at the come and see experience and acknowledging that the go and be was highly missing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Again, um, you know, as some have said about the, you know, uh, the, the Great Commission is that, you know, instead of calling it the Great Commission for the modern church, we actually ought to call it the Great Omission. Right? We're not going into the world. We're not reaching and discipling people. We think of mission as what people do when they go to foreign countries yeah, yeah. and neglect the fact that we are called to be on mission yeah. here everywhere we go. So I, go ahead. Yeah. I was, I was going to add, I think one thing that maybe maybe some of our listeners may not be as aware of, like, I think you and I are in the, in the church world, can I hear yeah. some of these conversations of maybe the tension that it sometimes can exist between those two models of church, yeah. right? The come and see, the go and be, where I think sometimes there is a dichotomy that's presented yes. there of you've got to choose one. Right. And maybe it's not quite yes. presented like that, but it's there's the come and see attractional church mm-hmm. where it's, yeah, it's just about, yeah, come and see this great production. And I mean, some of those churches are doing great things. They are presenting the gospel in that, but it's left it that just that. And then there's others maybe that have went fully to the side of, no, we just need to do the go and be, and we need to completely drop the come and see. And that there's this movement, the house church movement that is taken off or of, yeah, where it's, we need to do this and we have to fully drop the come and see church to be able to do that. Um, And what I like about this article is that you're arguing that we don't have to drop one to do the other, that's that right. they can be integrated yeah, together. They, they should come together. You're, you're exactly right in that there are many who have argued that that integrating these two is, is nearly impossible because they do exist in tension to each other. Now, um, I, I agree. They, you know, the attractional church, the purely attractional church, definitely there is some tension between the attractional church and the disciple-making movement scene and disciple-making movement scene and the attractional church. There's no doubt about that. Um, and in fact, you know, th- those who have said, for example, have used this phrase, what you win them with is what you win them to, um, is not all wrong. You know, for example, if we, um, if we win people to a very attractional environment, and I'm not talking about an attractive environment. In fact, I, you know, what I'm not saying at all in the course of this conversation is that our Sunday morning gatherings ought not to be attractive. Yeah, yeah. Attractional means what you value because you believe that's how you're going to win people mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. Jesus. The trouble is, um, in, in many hyper-attractional environments, we're starting to wonder, have we been winning people to Jesus or are we just winning people to an experience yeah. of what a Sunday yeah. morning gathering can look like? And then on the backside of that, when you start to every now and then slip in messages about the cost of following Jesus and people were saying, wait a minute, I thought it was fun to follow Jesus. Yeah. I can feel it like a bait and exciting. switch, right? It feels like a bait and switch. And so um, when you lean into the yeah. purely attractional, so the purely come and see, and, and it's about gathering a crowd and about getting people to make decisions as opposed to mm-hmm. making disciples, then yeah, yes, there's a huge tension that emerges because um, you're not sharing people, sharing with people, especially up front, the whole truth about what it looks like to follow Jesus yeah. and that it may be difficult at times. In fact, it likely will be difficult at times. And so, um, so there is some tension. And so I've had guys who are DMM guys, um, Global South DMM guys, come back and say, you can't bring disciple making 
at least not movement principles into the attractional church, it won't work. Now, some, some of those that told me five years ago this won't work are beginning to change their minds as they're actually seeing some evidence of disciple-making movement principles um, making their way into <laughs> the attractional <laughs> church. And we're starting to now see um, the attractional and the missional come together. We're starting to see a meeting of come and see and go and be. So yeah. I think I think it is possible. It's mm-hmm. difficult, mm-hmm. but it is possible, which is which is why I'm just why I wrote this article. Really thankful for how you have really thought critically of integrating those two together. I mean, part of my job here at Grace Chapel is production yeah. and media coordinator. Or part of my yes. job is the attractional aspect. I think through what color lighting am I going to put on stage? What graphics are we going right. to use? What and like those things are to make it look better in yes. there. Because I think that's, I think yes. that is important. But what we're saying is that it's not. We're not saying you have to totally throw that out. Like yes. no, that's like that's a cool thing. That's nice to yes. have the environment be attractional, but yes. not at the expense right. of the mission of Jesus. And sometimes when you're just leading forward on just the attractional, it just turns into a production and you can lose that. Yeah, absolutely. Without being really intentional. If I can make one amendment to that, I would say um, because attractional primarily, primarily identifies those who lean into first and foremost the come and see as the as basically the only on-ramp for relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I would say what we don't want to be is unattractive. Yeah. So we do want to be attractive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think there is a fine line, but an important one between attractive and between being attractional, which means okay, okay. that is your mode of operating. That's the per- okay, this is gotcha. how we think we're going makes to sense. bring people to Jesus is by being so hyper attractive, um, by doing things, you know, with you know. So we want to be a, an attractive disciple making church. Excellence, yeah. You know, yes. So we yeah. want to be. Yeah, and, and the reality is, um, a, a community alive to the mission of Jesus ought to actually be one of the most compelling and attractive mm-hmm. pictures that mm-hmm. we can see. And so I think in some way, so my friend David Young says it this way, um, you know, he says, a, a church ought to be, in a sense, a tree planted by a stream of water that constantly is connected to the source and is, is really, truly vibrant and alive because, again, of that connection with the source. There's nourishment constantly being fed into the roots of that tree. That tree is growing. The leaves are always green, even in dry seasons, because, again, of the roots connected with the source. So real vibrant life. But, he says, what many of our churches are, in his mind, is is trees that look alive, but are not truly alive. Mm -hmm. And so they may even look better than the real thing. I'll I'll be honest with you. I've gotten to the point in my life that I think, you know, in particular, a good, and you know, we may have a disagreement about this right now. I may open up a can of worms and with people watching and listening too. But I have seen some artificial Christmas trees that look better than the real thing. They look so real and every branch is aligned perfectly. They look so good. You walk into a house, I mean, I've walked into some homes and I've thought, man, where did they get that tree? And then as you get closer, you can start to tell it's actually not a real tree. But man, from even five feet away, that tree looked alive and vibrant and very real. And then you walk into some homes and you can tell that they very much wanted the, the live tree and it's got crooked branches all over the place. I mean, this thing looks like... And that's the beauty in it, Paul. That's the beauty in it. Well, you know, and maybe there's truth in that, especially as it relates to the church. Yeah. You know, so <laughs> we can make our church like look that like... Yeah. A, yeah, especially since we're coming up on Christmas, you know, in six weeks here. Um, you know, which which you got me to talk about Christmas somehow before Thanksgiving. So I that's didn't even do it. <laughs> there was some sort of subliminal messaging you were doing in this. That's fair. But you know, so again, I, I agree with my friend David in this. I would rather be the tree that is genuinely alive. Yeah. That is a real live tree. Yeah. As opposed to the tree that is artificial, and we've tried to make it look like the mm. real thing. That's good. And we do that's that. really that's, good. You know, so when we're yeah. an attractional church and purely attractional, I think we run the risk of being that artificial tree where everything looks just about perfect. Mm. But in reality, 
the life and the vibrancy is missing. It's back to what Tozer yeah. says, you know, about the, you know, the North American church. He said, you know, if you remove the Holy Spirit from the North American church, 90% of what is happening today would continue to go mm. on and nobody would know mm. the difference. If you were to remove the Holy Spirit from the first century church, 90% of what was happening would cease to exist immediately and everybody would know the difference. Yeah. But it's, yeah. you don't have to water a fake tree. We all know that. And that's yeah. probably why we buy the fake trees. You don't have to water it. You don't have to have it connected to any nourishment, nothing. You have to, as a real tree, be connected to a source of nourishment. And mm. so, again, I think there's a lot of mileage in uh, in that imagery. That's good, man. I really like that. Um, I really like that. So we want to be the live tree. Yes. That's what yes. we want to be. We don't want to be just purely attractional. We want to be connected to the source. We want to be doing the go and be things yeah. while being yeah. an attractive come and see environment too. All right. So before we dive into this first, yeah. the first reason, can you give it, I feel like we've talked about the attractional church yes. uh, aspect of it. Can you just define the disciple making movement yeah, part I for think us real quick? Good. So let's. Let's just real quick do a few definitions okay. um, just so that everybody's clear when we talk about what it means to be a disciple. And I'm going to be borrowing definitions directly from discipleship.org. And okay. these are also the definitions that we use at Renew. Okay. Um, some of this are some of these are definitions connected with uh, the Relational Discipleship Network okay. yeah. uh, as well. And so where, uh, where can person, we find this? So if you go to discipleship.org, mm-hmm. the, the page, uh, the webpage for discipleship.org, go to the About tab all the way on the top right. And unfortunately, I don't know that I'll be able to link directly to this. Okay, gotcha. Um, but you can follow these directions. Okay. Um, you know, so you go over to discipleship.org, go to the About tab on the mm-hmm. right, upper right, scroll down pretty close all the way to the bottom, mm-hmm. and you'll see number nine is disciple-making definitions. Okay. That's important. Number eight is disciple-making movement with some conversation about that. Um, you've got in there disciple-making measures. So there are a lot of very helpful definitions right there. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. those are discipleship.org's uh, 10 affirmations. Okay, gotcha. Um, so, okay, so number nine gives the definitions. And we use these definitions pretty much word for word at Grace Chapel. So, gotcha. okay. Um, so just to say that a disciple is someone who's following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, and is committed to the mission of Jesus. We mm-hmm. say that so often that I hope people are... Uh, it, people are becoming sick of it. We're saying it enough, right? Good. You know, so that's what we hope is that people are hearing it frequently. You know, so then disciple making is just entering in relationships that intentionally help people surprise, follow Jesus, be changed by Jesus, join the mission of Jesus. Okay, and out of that, what we're hoping is that a disciple making culture develops. There's a definition uh, number six. There's the definition of disciple making culture. It's the beliefs, habits, and narrative of a church constantly repeated with congruence and intentionality that make it clear to almost everyone all the time. So hear the absolute language in there, basically, including newcomers, that disciple-making is what everyone does in this church. Mm -hmm. And really, that's the type of church that we're trying to see emerge. Um, So it's a new emergent church. Um, That's the type of church that we're hoping emerges out of the attractional church when we bring in disciple-making movement principles uh, so that a disciple-making movement then is this, uh, you know, we give, I give this definition in the article as well, too. Um, it's a rapid and exponential increase in disciple-making churches, often a thousand or more, within a local ch- culture who plant multiple churches. And these churches are churches who multiply disciples, groups, and churches of obedience-based disciples so that we can see at least four churches of, of disciples produced, okay, so four generations of churches produced in six streams of disciple-making activity, and these streams multiply consistently into churches, 100 or more churches within two to five years, and so um, you can see the number in there, 1,000 or more, 100 or more, uh, 100 or more is, is uh, with the time frame of two to five years, 1,000 or more is often what we see, um, you know, within maybe seven to ten years of a disciple-making movement taking root. Um, and some of these disciple-making movements, we're seeing more than a thousand churches planted every year. Uh, for example, some in India right now. Um, real quick to the conversation about generation and streams, just so that we understand that. Uh, generations means one disciple made another disciple made another disciple. So you've got first, second, third generation. Or if you talk about that in um, the sense of churches, one church planted another church who planted another church. Okay. Do you know that... Um, Seventy-five percent, even of all planted churches in North America, will never plant another church, mm. or have never planted another church right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's a disrupt. So one church plants another church. That's the end of the planting. 
only 25% of those churches go on to plant uh, other churches. Do you know as well, another statistic that goes back to Barna several years ago, and I think it was 96% of all people who call themselves Christians will never share their faith with wow. another person. Wow. 96%. So only 4% of wow. all people who call themselves Christians. Now, granted, that that a lot of... Western American mm-hmm. Christians? Or? Yes. Okay. Yes. So that's a, that's, a North American, yeah. that's a North American survey that Barna did a number of years ago. Wow. Um, add into that, too. I mean, what, what factors into that is the reality that... Um, Many people who call themselves Christians are not actively connected to a local church community where they're being challenged yeah. to share yeah. their faith. Um, so I think that's a big consideration in there. So maybe in the end, what you end up with the 80-20 rule within a church is that maybe 20% of people within a local church context would share their faith at some point in time with somebody, mm. but 80% wouldn't. You know, but well. what we're wanting as we, especially you know, as, as I wrote this article, is to see that changed. I'd yeah. like to see 80% sharing their yep. faith, and it's the 20% who, for some reason, don't. Yeah. Um, you know, so again, it's it's to see okay. a change and shift within the church culture, and so, of course, the article is focused on five reasons yep. to begin so a disciple-making it. movement inside the attractional church, which, mm-hmm. you know, um, there are some efforts being made to begin disciple-making movements in, on the North American content. Mm-hmm. My argument, again, within this article is let's see the two come together Mm-hmm. And let's see disciple making movements emerge out of the what was once the attractional church, but now becomes both come and see and go and be. Mm. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Let's go to reason number one. Okay. First reason you say is attractional churches are full of church members who need discipleship or disciple making movement principles to become true disciples of Jesus. Yes. So this is really a question of target, right? Um, I've talked before about this. Um, you know, I think in most of our churches, when you think about the, the story of the, the rich young ruler who came and um, came to Jesus and asked him what he needed to do to inherit mm-hmm. eternal life. Mm-hmm. And Jesus said, uh, you know, t- t- tell me about yourself. You know, have you kept the commands? The rich young ruler said, I've kept all these commands. Jesus says, you're lacking one thing. Go and sell everything you have. Give your possessions mm-hmm. to the poor. Then come follow me. And the rich young man went away sad. Yeah. Um, you know, Jesus loved him, looked at him and loved him. The rich young man went away sad because what Jesus had asked of him was too much. Now, I think most of us within our churches, the rich young ruler is our ideal church member. I mean, we would be looking at the rich young ruler and saying, we want those kind of guys in our churches. He's lived a moral life. He's probably willing to give some of his money. He just wasn't willing to give all of it away. In his case, he needed a full parting with his money to be able to truly follow Jesus. Mm Right? So we've created all these sorts of standards and measures um, within the North American Attractional Church um, you know, that have more to do with, you know, do you attend church on a Sunday morning? Do you give some of your money to Jesus? Um, you know, are you a, a baptized? Have you been baptized? I mean, all these different things that we measure when Jesus' measure is, are you following me? Again, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? To be a disciple of Jesus is to follow Jesus, then next be changed by Jesus, then be committed to the mission of Jesus. And we have set a standard primarily based on church attendance and then helping support the church budget. And said, that's great. If you're willing to do that, there's a place for you here. And I'm not saying there's not a place for people who are only doing that here, but let's be honest, it's it's only doing that. It's not actually what Jesus has called people to do. And so, you know, I often say that we as, we as churches have been quite good at making church members, but not particularly good at making disciples of Jesus. Yeah. Which gotcha. it's time for a gut check. You know, if that's true, if, if the target is truly dis, being a disciple and not church membership, you know, as I say in the article, that means we may have some difficult conversations ahead. Mm-hmm. Because we as church leaders have to own up to the fact that, that we have been setting the target. Okay. Or maybe we inherited yep. a target and we haven't pushed back against the target. And so we're not saying, listen, as Jesus says, come follow me, which may mean denying yourself, which may mean taking up your cross. And this is a daily thing according to Luke you know, 9, 9.23, I think, 
You know, this is a daily thing that people are called into so that they can truly follow Jesus. As opposed to, hey, be here on Sunday mornings. You know, make sure that you go through the motions, do the right things, can check the boxes. And then what you do out there, that's your business. Which is kind of the way we treated things. Even if it's in an unspoken fashion, even if those are almost unwritten rules of good church membership. We need to be honest that the target was never church membership. Yeah. It was never church membership. It was following Jesus. Jesus did not say in the Great Commission, go into all the world and make church members. Make people who will show up at your building on Sunday mornings, pack the seats, pack the pews. That's not what Jesus said. He said, go into the world and make disciples. And even in that moment in the Great Commission, what does he say about what it means to be a disciple? Well, it means, yes, to be baptized, but to understand what being baptized means. It's that moment you give your allegiance over to Jesus. Yeah. And then he says, once you're doing that, once you've baptized them, here's the next stage in what it means to be a disciple. Means to be a disciple. You teach them to obey everything I have mm-hmm. commanded. Mm-hmm. Not to be church attenders, not to be people who are, as, you know, as uh, Kyle Eidelman says in, in his book, um, I think it's called Follower Not a Fan. You know, to not be fans of Jesus, where yeah. we say, man, he's, he's, pretty, he's pretty cool. I like that Jesus guy. He had mm-hmm. some great stuff to mm-hmm. say. No, to where we become followers of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what we used to say about what it means to be a disciple, and I still think that there's a, a lot to this definition, is that a disciple is somebody who follows Jesus not just to learn about him, not even just to learn from him, but to learn to become like him. Mm. That's the target. Yeah. Yeah. So the target is discipleship. And being a disciple of Jesus, and we have to be honest that sometimes we've set the wrong target, especially when we're just looking to make more church members, just to have more people attend on Sunday morning, which is the goal of most attractional church members. Think of the things that we measure, or most, most attractional churches think of the things we measure. How many people are here on a Sunday morning? And that then constitutes failure or success. Yeah. If you see increasing numbers, and we don't know why those numbers are increasing. I mean, you could be giving out, and I'm not saying it's wrong too, but you could be giving out gift cards to gas stations to get people to come on Sunday morning. And maybe you're doing a wonderful thing by doing that and helping people fill their tanks, and that's great. But if you're leaning into things that become gimmicks to get people to attend on Sunday morning because that's your measure for success, there's no guarantee you're making any disciples of Jesus whatsoever. So, again, the first reason... Um, I think we have to get to the place where we accept that we have a lot of people who come from Sunday to Sunday that even have placed membership at a church but may not yet be true disciples of Jesus. And I know that's hard, and I know when people hear that, when people hear you know preachers, ministers, pastors say those things, it can even seem sound offensive, but sometimes the truth is hard to hear. And this is one of those things that I believe is both true and hard to hear. Hmm. So that's that's the first reason. Okay, that's good. Let's go to number two. The second reason, say that attractional churches are full of persons of peace. Yeah. They can help us reach lots of lost people. What are persons of peace? And yeah. then explain that one. <laughs> I think it's good for us to, yes, have a definition of what it means to be a person of peace. Uh, the first time I heard... Um, this idea of person of peace was in conversation with some disciple-making movement guys. I think it was actually a conversation with a guy named with Shadake Johnson, who I've talked about mm-hmm. uh, before on this podcast. Uh, the definition that I now embrace for that comes from a guy named Curtis Sargent, who um, has uh, he's the author of what's called Zume training, which you can find online, which is good mm-hmm. training about how to engage with disciple-making movement principles. There's tools, okay. measures, and other things in there. Um, we've had some people at Grace Chapel here use Zume training and go through that, so that's good. Here's the definition he gives there about a person of peace. It's someone who is open to hearing the good news of Jesus and is excited to draw others into a conversation about him. Mm-hmm. Okay, So I think there are a lot of people that attend on Sunday morning because they're more than open to hearing the good news about Jesus. In fact, they come back Sunday after Sunday after Sunday because there's something about the good news of Jesus that really connects with them. Maybe, again, they haven't really taken that next step to truly give their life over to follow him, but they're receptive to the good news of Jesus. Yeah. Again, even think about, uh, you know, think about people who've left the church, who've deconstructed their faith. Mm-hmm. 
um, many of them will say, I miss certain elements of church, in including hearing the positive message about a guy named Jesus. There's some things about church I didn't like, but hearing the positive message about a guy named Jesus, well, there was something about that that connected with me. <laughs> and in fact, for many of those who reconstruct their faith, it's there continued to be something compelling about the good news about Jesus. Yeah. Right? So I think there are a lot of people that are sitting in church seats Sunday to Sunday who find the good news of Jesus compelling, but they haven't taken that next step to become truly followers of him, but especially that next step of becoming disciples. Mm -hmm. Or disciple makers, I'm sorry. Becoming disciple makers. <clears throat> you know, here at Grace Chapel, we went through... Um, we went through kind of uh, a metamorphosis of sorts over several years in the way, in what was central in our messaging. I can think back uh, the first summer that we talked about discipleship, being disciples of Jesus was what we were called into. So we were basically saying, hey, we've got to be honest about the target. It's not just church membership, it's discipleship. Mm -hmm. Not membership, discipleship. So yes, we're members of the body of Christ, but it, that's because we're disciples. So again, if we set our goal uh, to be disciples of Jesus, we'll also be involved in body membership. But if we set our goal as just church membership, there's no guarantee that we'll be disciples. And so we made that plain one summer. We said, look, discipleship is the call. Follow Jesus to follow him. Then out of that, it became clear the next thing was that we needed to not just be disciples of Jesus, we needed to make disciples of Jesus. Then the next growth for us became this understanding that we needed to not just make disciples of Jesus because, again, that's, you know, if you think about the fact that somebody made a disciple who follows Jesus, but that it often stops there and that 90% of those people, 96% of people who call themselves Christians will never make another disciple, or that 75% of all planted churches will never plant another church, there's a disrupt, an interrupt, a, you know, there's some discontinuity that emerges at some point in time. So we need to not just make disciples, we need to make disciple makers, right? So that became plain. Well, the reality is, again, many people who are very receptive to the message of Jesus could also be conduits to others who would be receptive of, you know, of the message of Jesus. And if you want to begin a movement, we talked about this you know, yesterday morning in the setup to the, the Sunday morning message. If we wanted to reach this entire continent with the message of Jesus in one generation, we could never do it, even if we did it, even if we did the attractional church thing really well, mathematically, it would never happen. And there are many who have figured that out, you know, that um, Ying Kai figured that out in China a number of years ago. Josh Howard has figured that out in India. And so what would reach an entire generation within one year is multiplication. So we don't have enough churches, not enough space, not enough spaces and buildings for people even to lean into the invest and invite method where let's invest in somebody's life, let's invite them to church, let's hope that once they come to church, that's where they really truly meet Jesus and they see life change. Well, if they did see life change and they went and they invited somebody into, we don't have enough churches and we never will have enough churches like that if we just keep leaning into the growth by addition, even maybe compelling and even somewhat rapid addition even in churches that are growing quickly still, and there are some, um, where addition is the method, they cannot saturate their communities with the gospel without moving to the next level, which is multiplication, which means <clears throat> that our primary method cannot be delivering the gospel in our buildings on Sunday morning. It has to be each one of us owning and sharing the gospel wherever we go throughout the week. Mm, yeah. So you make a disciple. An ordinary disciple makes another ordinary disciple of Jesus, which Jesus invited ordinary guys mm -hmm. to come and follow him. And they made plenty of disciples. And it continued to pass, you know, from one disciple to the next. And it happened like that over and over again. You know, the early church did not, not, did not, grow, did not grow by being attractional. Not in the first 300 years, in fact. They were guarded as to who they were led in their services. Yeah. So all of the disciple making that happened was outside of the church environment. And I'm not saying all of it needs to happen outside of the church environment, but the vast majority of disciple-making needs to happen outside of the church environment. Well, I believe every Sunday morning, people gather at your church who could become the next disciple who makes another disciple 
who makes another disciple, who makes another disciple. And that's the idea of persons of peace. Okay, okay. Is that these are people, again, who are open to hearing the good news of Jesus. They may just not have taken the next step to follow him as a disciple. Mm-hmm. And they certainly haven't taken that next step to follow him as a disciple maker. But our churches are full of these people. So I believe that is one of the most compelling reasons to me why we ought to begin disciple-making movements within the attractional church because you've got a whole lot of people who love hearing about Jesus, yeah, yeah. who need to love following Jesus, who need to love telling others about Jesus right here That's within good. our attractional churches. Awesome. That's good. So let's go to that third reason. Okay. Uh, attractional churches have abundant resources for good works in the world that micro or house churches don't have. Yeah, that they often lack. Yeah. Often lack. Yeah, and, and that's um, that's very true. I mean, I can think. Of, you know, I've known a number of um, number of missional church leaders over the last several years that I have talked with, whose movement fell apart at some point in time because of a lack of finances. Yeah. They couldn't support what they were doing. They couldn't support the lifestyle they were trying to live. They were trying to be tent makers, as the Apostle Paul was, but it became quite difficult. Um, you know, so you see bivocational stuff working often, um, but it's often to the level of at least being bivocational. So there's drawing some sort of sustenance from both places. Well, that may be true just in, um, in the model that we embrace to sustain uh, the movement of church leaders, that there's a necessity for finances there. But the reality, is, the reality of it is, you know, you think about, uh, think about our church uh, here at Grace Chapel, and we're not... A particularly large church. I, I think there's there is a chance, if I'm doing the math right, that we'll have somewhere uh, collected offerings here at this church somewhere close to a million and a half dollars in one year. Wow. Which which is a lot of money. Wow. Yeah. There are churches who collect way more than yeah. that, right? And yeah. so have these incredible financial resources um, that could be contributed to the mission of Jesus. Mm-hmm. So I think that is a, a really compelling reason why we ought to get the attractional church to, um, why we ought to begin disciple-making movements in the attractional church. Can you imagine what would happen if first the financial resources of the attractional church more than were allocated to disciple-making than are right now? I mean, it would be unbelievable. Yeah. Let's say that, you know, let's say that every attractional church uh, took this took the time to evaluate their budget and figured out how they could cut out 20% and donate that 20%, give that 20% to supporting disciple making, church planting, other things like that. What what would happen if that amount of money, I can't even imagine how much money that would be. I mean, we, we actually do here at Grace Chapel give quite a bit uh, financially towards supporting disciple making efforts, being you know, the sole supporting church right now of, um, of a group in uh, Mexico called Kairos that has planted, as we shared, nine, I think nine or there's 11 churches over the past five years has seen more than a thousand baptisms, I think, roughly over the last five years. And so there's real disciple making happening there. And we are giving financially mm-hmm. toward mm-hmm. that. But, you know, imagine out of a million and a half dollar budget, if all of a sudden 20 percent of that budget was all of a sudden given over to disciple-making initiatives. So you'd be talking about, yeah. in our case, 20% would be $300,000 a year. Imagine if we were giving $300,000 a year. And I think we're giving quite a bit. I don't think we're giving that much. If we were putting that much money per year into disciple-making, mm-hmm. what it could do. Imagine some of the churches that have $20 million budgets. You know, if all yeah. of a sudden those churches were giving several million, what's that, $4 million a year to disciple-making? And some are. I think about uh, a church that is a sister church of ours in uh, Murfreesboro, Tennessee, called the, the North Boulevard Church of Christ, that recently raised, I think, $6 million for, to, to support disciple-making movement um, yeah. globally, both in the global south and here in North America as well. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Imagine if even 10% of all North American churches found a passion for that, what it could do. Now, that's mm-hmm. just thinking... Mm-hmm about financial resources. Imagine if that was also true about people resources, talent, abilities, um, creativity, strategy thinking, 
right? All of that that we invest in sometimes building just a single location or a church's brand and name recognition or whatever that happens to be, a church's particular identity, if we were taking 20% of that and pouring it back into helping think about, pray about, plan for disciple-making, both here on the North American content, uh, continent and then in other places as well, you know, the reality of it is the attractional church has an abundance of resources to contribute to the mission of Jesus. Yeah. Whether it be finances, um, people and talent and time and all these things, um, we could make an incredible difference in our local communities and in the world around us by becoming truly wedded to the mission of Jesus mm. as opposed to giving lip service, you know, or lip service to the message of Jesus, yeah. the mission of Jesus, if we really fully leaned into it. Again, I, I can hardly imagine what could happen mm-hmm. if we gave ourselves over fully to that within the attractional church. And so, um, <clears throat> you know, I think about, I think it was Francis Chan who, who um, for a time, really leaned into the purely missional approach and, and to the exclusion of the attractional church for a time. I mean, think about the book mm-hmm. Letters, to, Letters to the Church, is that what it's mm-hmm. called? Yeah. Um, you know, and I can think about listening to a podcast where he talked about, you know, maybe that full parting for this reason, the resources and others, maybe that wasn't the best, the best thing. Maybe it was good for there to be a merging between the attractional and missional, yeah. um, the come and see and the go and be, for the sake of all of us doing what we were supposed to do yeah. As, yeah. as it was. You know, I think, um, you know, the, I've, said about, I said it, I've said it this way before, is that the attractional church needs the heart of a missional church, mm-hmm. right? And, but there is so much that the missional church needs from the attractional church as well, like the resources, the ability to think strategy, the finances, and everything that go with it. Man, what if we could see those two things come together? I, I can hardly imagine what what could happen. So, um, anyway, that's reason three. Okay, reason number four. That attractional churches are full of people God wants to love, not abandon. Yeah, so... Um, this is primarily a reason that, that I'm an appeal to church leaders. Um, you know, I've seen over the last several years, um, and, and number four and number five really do go together quite a bit, so I may be blending some of these reasons together. Um, here's, here's what I want to say about this. God cares deeply about the members of the attractional church. God wants the attractional church to have faithful leaders that are leading the people in the attractional church into discipleship, disciple-making. We, within the attractional church, again, whether we are responsible directly and have sometimes been the ones that have set the wrong target or whether we inherited the wrong target and just continued to uh, kind of advance the pursuit of the wrong target for a time before we woke up and before God took us and, you know, uh, maybe gave us a new understanding and new vision. um, I'm not sure how I feel about being one who I know has contributed to the problem to some degree, if I were to take that new vision and say, well, I can't do it with these people. I'm going to have to go find a whole new group of people to go do this thing with. So, you know, here's what we know about change. Change is hard. Yeah. Uh, In fact, I was with with a guy, Don Wilson, uh, this past week, who was the... um, the founding pastor of Christ Church in the Valley, which was, I think, the largest Christian church, largest restoration movement church in the United States out in Phoenix. Uh, I think they have roughly thirty-five to 40,000 members. That, that and South, uh, Southeastern Christian in Louisville have gone back and forth as to which is the largest church numerically. Um, you know, they, they were primarily an attractional church and, and became really truly a disciple-making church at some point in time. Uh, under his leadership, but he talks about change and change being really difficult, right? Why is change so difficult? Well, because change 
often equals loss, right? And I'm, I'm, he had four progressions. I think I'm forgetting one. I think there's. I think I can only remember three right now. Um, but change to change often means doing something differently. Doing something differently means you're losing something that you once had. Losing something that you once had often equals pain, and so change equals pain. And so a lot of people don't want to walk through that discomfort, even leaders who've been part of the system. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't want to do the hard work. But God is calling some of us to, to do the hard work. To do the hard work of seeing a church culture shift and become different mm -hmm. because of the love for a people. Because of the care, deep care for a people. You know, if, again, if we believe that there are many people within the attractional church who have embraced the target of church membership as the, as the peak of what it means to be a Christian, but we've come to know and believe that being a disciple of Jesus, who makes disciples of Jesus, that's the, that's the call, that's the target. And we don't stay and do the hard work of maybe even repenting and apologizing and shifting the target to the, from the wrong target to the wrong, right target, that doesn't look like love at all to me. That looks like, and I, I, I want to be careful because some probably are called to do a new thing. So I don't want to be judgmental in this. <laughs> but for some of us, that's not going to look like love. That's actually going to look more like cowardice and maybe even laziness. Yeah. A desire to move on and do something different because you have a new vision, but a, a belief you can't do it with these <laughs> old people when God may be calling us to have an imagination that sees new life breathed into dry bones. Yeah. You know, the image from Ezekiel. And so I think that really does, as I said, go along with, uh, with principle five to some degree. But in the article, I use this idea, you know, think about this, this moment when Jesus was looking at Israel and he says, you know, I think he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you know, how, how often I have longed to gather you like chicks under my wings, but you wouldn't let me. You know, so Jesus had this deep love for a people who had been misled by the religious leaders of that day in a way that it actually took them, it pulled them away from Jesus instead of drew them to Jesus. And Jesus says, I just, I want to draw you to me. I want you to embrace the things I have for you. Well, leadership, and maybe sometimes well-intentioned leadership, I think often been, to be quite honest, may have accepted and promoted the wrong target for a time. It's going to take leadership to promote the right target again. You know, the reality yeah. is um, <clears throat> the first time you learn something, learning is difficult. When you see that there's something else, sometimes to move to that uh, something else, you have to unlearn something that's more difficult. And then you have to relearn the new thing. So going from learning to unlearning to relearning, that's a difficult process. Mm -hmm. And leading change is often helping people who've learned one thing, unlearn that thing to learn a better thing. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a real call for many of us in attractional churches to do exactly that, to not abandon yeah. these people who are dearly loved by God, yeah. but to yeah. lead these people who are dearly loved by God. That's good. And that moves us to our final, to the final fifth reason that you yeah. said is that God calls many of us to lead attractional churches as faithful leaders seeking revival. Yeah, like I said, there's a lot of connection between four and five. Yeah. Um, five for yeah, me definitely. in the article, I make very personal. And so I'll do that here. And maybe there are some church leaders listening to our podcast. And, and so I want to make it very personal. Um, you know, in, my, in my journey in ministry, there have been at least three times. Um, maybe more actually, but at least three times that I have found myself so discouraged within ministry to the church uh, or church as I knew it that I was just about ready to walk away. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I can think of um, times when, you know, leading people and, and we keep going the wrong direction and I can think of times where just personal burnout. Um, I can think of times where, you know, uh, there are even broken promises in leadership that discouraged me to, to the degree that I was ready to walk away and I wanted to do something different and new. 
Mm-hmm. Um, a couple of times in that pursuit, I was ready to walk away maybe from ministry altogether. There were some other times where I thought, I just need to begin something new because how can you undo all that's been done over the years? Um, we need to bring, you know, begin something new where we start with the right priorities from square one. So instead of cultural change, we're just gonna we're gonna begin with the right culture or cult- cultural transformation. We just begin with the right culture. Um, each time that I have felt that way, I've spent time pursuing God um, in prayer. In the last few times where I've struggled this way, I've pursued God in prayer and fasting. And each time I've pursued him in a season of prayer like that, he's come back to me with a very clear message, a message not to abandon, but to love and to lead. Okay, so this goes beyond the concept or the the idea in four is that God loves these people, we shouldn't abandon them. This now goes to the next thing, the personal call to some of us to lead and to lead well and to lead the church into the next season of what faithfulness to God looks like. Mm -hmm. And so in each one of those seasons of prayer, um, I've been renewed in a conviction that God is not calling me to leave, but to lead. Mm. And I think there there would be many of us who, if we spend time in prayer in our moments of discouragement, and I've talked with others who've gone through and they've they've had basically the same experience, where they were ready to leave and God said, don't leave, I want you to lead. And, and I don't mean necessarily one specific local church. It could be that God is calling you to stay with the specific local church that you're in. It could be that God is calling you to lead the local church that you're in to a point where they're doing it and then go do it again somewhere else. My point is this, yeah. within the attractional That's prevailing good. church model, God is calling some of us to invest our lives here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because something great could happen when, again, we choose to lead instead of choosing to leave. Mm -hmm. And so I think for some of us specifically, that's what faithfulness may look like. Yeah. And the question that each of us have to struggle with is, what does faithfulness look like? God may be calling some folks to go do an entirely new thing. God may be calling some of us to stay with, you know, the old thing or the, the thing that is. And help it become the thing that it should be. Yeah. And for me, I, I just feel convicted um, every time I spend time in prayer and fasting, even when I'm not praying about the specific thing, God has come back around and renewed this conviction in me that I am called to help lead the church that is yeah. so that it becomes the church that should be not to go do a new thing. And I think there will be others who find themselves in, in that very same place. I think that, that starts to segue nicely into our final question about how yeah. we can practice this. So I've given these five reasons. I'm just going to read these again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you said number one is that the five reasons of why the um, of why we should begin a disciple making movement in the attractional church. And you said number one is that attractional churches are full of members who need a, who need disciples disciple-making movement principles to become two true disciples of Jesus. Number two, you said attractional churches are full of persons of peace. Number three, attractional churches have abundant resources for good works in the world that micro or house churches don't have. Right. Number four is that attractional churches are full of people God wants to love, not abandon. And number five, God calls many of us to lead attractional churches as faithful leaders seeking revival. So when we get to our question about how do we practice this, I know a lot of this is written towards, geared towards church leaders. But there are certainly some church leaders uh, listening to the podcast, but a lot of people may think that, well, I don't really have a role. I'm not really a church leader. I'm not a pastor. I'm not on the church staff, so I don't really have a role on this. What would you say to them? How do they need to practice what we've talked about today to be faithful? You know, to begin with self-reflection, And, and ask yourself, in your Christian life, so to speak, have you, set, have you accepted or set or believed that your target is church membership primarily? Mm-hmm. Or do you see clearly that your target is to be a disciple of Jesus? You know, that yeah. Jesus came to call disciples, came to make disciples, not 
church members, not just people who attend church on a Sunday morning, not pew packers, mm-hmm. not, I mean, there's so many different words and you know, phrases that we could put on that, but Jesus came to make fully formed disciples who, again, follow him or being changed by him or committed to his mission. That's what Jesus came to do. Yeah. So if you have been living more as a church member and you've been content with that, are you going to stay content with that? Especially when you hear us talk about the fact that that is not, that was not Jesus's target. Mm-hmm. That's a target that we, we superimposed over the right target mm-hmm. and it's time to change that. Mm-hmm. You know, the second one, I would say this too, that, you know, the question about persons of peace. I mean, here's the application. Um, as you become a disciple of Jesus, part of becoming a fully formed disciple of Jesus is to be committed to the mission of Jesus, which means you become a disciple maker as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it means yeah. all of us become yeah. disciple makers. Now, yeah. some may have the gift of evangelism and they make disciples at a rate of 30, 60, 100 times fold. And others may make one disciple every year or maybe just one disciple over their lifetime. But man, if every disciple could make at least one disciple over their lifetime, we could do away with that 96% statistic that says 96% of people who call themselves Christians will never share their faith with another person. And it would be absolutely game-changing. Yeah, yeah. You know, if everybody said, yes, I'm gonna share my faith. Um, You know, the third principle for church leaders, um, is your church financially supporting disciple-making? In any way, shape, or form, you know, uh, um, I don't know. I don't. We've sort of touched on uh, an article that I wrote also that was called Eight Principles um, of, of Disciple Making Movements." Um, one of those principles is, you know, that, that churches ought to evaluate if we want to see disciple making cultures emerge within a church. You know, we say this too about you know the culture of a person. You know, how, how do you evaluate your heart in relation to Jesus? Well, tell me how you spend your money. I mean, it's actually true. You know, how do you spend your money? Are you giving of your finances to support the mission of Jesus? Well, for churches too, are you just spending your money on church management and church upkeep, or are you using your finances that come into your, you know, into your offerings to move forward the mission of Jesus, or just as a person, are you with your own personal finances moving forward the mission of Jesus, and then primarily to church leaders. Um, man, I know you probably get discouraged from time to time because change is hard. And change happens slowly. And change means loss and pain and frustration and all the things in between. But if God gives you a vision for what the church should be, then that may mean that he is calling you to help the church become what the church should be. And so stick with it. Find a group of yeah. other church leaders heading the same direction. Connect with discipleship.org. Connect with the renew.org network. Connect with others who are moving the same direction. And you'll be able to help carry each other's burdens in that. Hmm. Um, you know, Develop a circle within your church that is dedicated to moving forward the mission of Jesus so that you can start to see and celebrate the wins of the advancement of the kingdom of God through yeah. disciple-making and faithfulness. Do those things that will help you not just experience the frustration and the disappointment and the heartache, but be able to see and celebrate the victories as well. And mm-hmm. so I think there's a lot in there that we could say is application of how we live this out faithfully. Um, but it begins really, it doesn't matter whether you're a church member or a church leader, whatever language we want to put on that. It starts with that personal evaluation for all of us, that question. The tough, self-reflective question, am I a disciple who is making disciples? If not, how can I take my first step to becoming a disciple maker? And even as a church leader, that is the most important thing you'll ever do. Mm-hmm. Don't just talk about disciple making. Be a disciple maker. And watch if your influence and your model doesn't start to change others around you as well in the process. So uh, that's a lot for application, but you know, I think it's all important application yeah. that. that's good well thank you for sharing this paul it's been a good good conversation appreciate this article we want to remind you again you can find this on discipleship.org the article called five reasons to begin a disciple making movement in the attractional church we'll link that in yeah. the podcast description and we'd love for you to check that out and once again give us feedback if you enjoyed this conversation if you found this helpful uh we always love hearing from you
But um, uh, until next time, so yeah. next week, we will not have a podcast next week. It's Thanksgiving week, and we will both be doing Thanksgiving things. That's right. Uh, so we're going to be out next week. Then we'll be back the week after for one final special episode on a, another article to be determined. Yeah. And uh, then we'll be back for December, we'll, and uh, we'll kind of pick back up with our regular format following our December message series. That's so. Uh, look forward to hearing y'all again in two weeks for our next episode. Until then, we'll, uh, we'll see y'all.